0: hey everyone my name is nate baker and welcome to another episode of the rcc student podcast i'm here joined with a dear friend of mine josh white i love josh he's been a great influence in my life i've I've learned a lot from him uh, been encouraged by his love for the lord but josh does not attend river lakes he doesn't work at river lakes so chances are most of you guys don't know him so josh do you mind telling us just a little bit about who you are what do you do uh, what are you passionate about
1: yes thanks nate for having me on it's an honor to be asked to come on your podcast. So as Nate said, my name is Josh White. I went to Bible college and seminary at Liberty University, which is in Lynchburg, Virginia, but I have stayed here in Bakersfield and done that online while I worked at Laurel Glen Bible Church here in town. So I've been on staff here at LBC for the past seven years um, and really have done whatever the church has needed. So I've done worship ministry, I've done junior high ministry, I've done adult ministries, I've even done senior adult ministries as well. So all mm. kinds of things, just whatever the church has needed. But uh, my passion really is the preaching of God's word for the purpose of proclaiming Christ and with the hope that His bride, the church, will become more and more mature.
0: Mm. That's great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for joining on this episode we're gonna continue our journey through the book of Philippians today we're in chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 and before we jump into that I would love to have you just pray with us father we thank you so much for for your kindness to us and and for your word I pray that we would delight in it today uh and that you would captivate our thoughts, our, our hearts, our affections. Uh, you would teach us how to love rightly. Teach us something new about yourself that causes us to look at you with wonder and awe uh, and, and rejoice, Lord. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. So, so far, Paul has been writing about how he thanks his God for the Philippian believers. We see a beautiful picture of Christian unity in this text. He he writes about how he's filled with joy while he's praying for them. He considers them partners in the gospel, calls them partakers with him of grace. He encourages them that God will complete the good work that he started in them. He tells them that he yearns for them with the affection of Jesus. He He deeply loves them and he earnestly just wants to see them and and be with them. They are his friends, his family. Uh, He loves them deeply. And now uh, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. So read this with me. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul starts off by praying. He says, It it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So he prays for their abounding love. What does it mean for your love to abound?
1: When we look at verses 9 through 11, Paul's prayer really centers around this idea of abounding in love. Uh And so the question is, well, what does that really mean? Uh Um, And I think John MacArthur's commentary is helpful on this section. This is what he writes. He says, love is not mere emotion or feeling. And as it grows, it always finds increasing expression in a righteous character and humble service. Abound is from uh, Parisio, the Greek word, which has the basic idea of overflowing in a great abundance. Mm -hmm. In this verse, the present tense indicates a continual progress. Love is to grow and abound throughout the life of a believer. Uh And so the idea of love abounding is that the Christian's love for God and for others is continually growing and overflowing in the life of the believer as long as they live until they see Jesus face to face. And I like how MacArthur says, it always finds increasing expression in righteous character and humble service. A love that is increasing in the life of the believer is demonstrated in Christlike character and in how you serve others. And so to abound in doing so means that there are always new ways in which love is being expressed in your life because we don't perfectly love God and we don't perfectly love people. I don't know about you, but I read Jesus's words when he commands us to love God and to love people, and I know that I fail to do that every single day. Um, To give you an example of this, growing up, we would always play with Play-Doh, and if you take some Play-Doh, maybe there's some at your church in a kid's classroom that's 15 years old and (laughs) gross by this point. But if you take some Play-Doh and you kind of roll it into a ball and you put it in the palm of your hand and then you squeeze that Play-Doh as hard as you can in the palm of your hand, think about what happens. That Play-Doh squeezes out all of the crevices in between your fingers, assuming that you have enough Play-Doh to do so, right? There's no avenues, so to speak, in your hand that aren't filled with Play-Doh if you squeeze it hard enough. And so in the same way, love is so central Mm. to the Christian life that it must permeate every aspect of our life. That means that there is no area of my life that I withhold from God and I withhold from the love of God increasing in whatever area of my life that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, It is in every aspect of my life, love is growing for God and for others. And so it's in the way that we think, it's in the way that we speak, it's in the way that we act, we must continually grow in love. And yet practically, we also must remember that our love doesn't grow because of ourselves. 1 John 4, 19-21 says that we love because he first uh, loved us. And so the love that grows in our life is not of our own doing, and it's grounded in understanding God's love for us in Christ dying in our place.
0: That's so good. After Paul prays for their abounding love he adds two other qualities he says with knowledge and all discernment i know that the first time that i read these verses i i thought that these were maybe just some filler words maybe paul's just throwing in you know pray i pray for you with for love with knowledge and discernment but i think there's a lot here josh why are knowledge and discernment important for real love
1: yeah, Paul's word choice is very significant. He's choosing words intentionally. And so, yeah, the second half of verse 9, really, it defines how love should abound. Yeah. Specifically that it should grow with knowledge and discernment. Uh-huh. So knowledge and discernment have to do with understanding truth and being able to distinguish right from wrong. Those are necessary qualities in order for love to be genuine and, and correct. So think about it practically. Where do knowledge and discernment come from? They come from God's Word. Um, and so God's Word shows us who God is and teaches us to love what He loves <clears throat> and also to hate what He hates. Yeah. And so knowledge and discernment are necessary qualities for biblical love because on our own, we don't love the right things. On our own, we love sinful and wicked things. Yeah. And so this passage in Philippians is so significant because it clarifies what biblical love is for us. Uh-huh. It teaches us that genuine love is characterized by knowing the truth and discerning right from wrong. It's characterized by loving the right things. And so, in other words, love is not just a fuzzy feeling inside of us, and also love is not anything that we want it to be.
0: I think that in our culture today, love is so twisted. Love is... It's only a feeling. Love is pure emotion. It comes and it goes. My love for you is measured by how I feel about you, not by what I do for you or how I sacrifice for you or how I serve you or or choose to prioritize you. It's not it's not about how I choose you. It's about how I feel about you. But that's absolutely not biblical love. I I see throughout the scriptures biblical love involves knowledge and discernment, just like you said, Josh. It's not just feelings, it's a choice I have to make. I, I love the words of Tim Keller. He says, it is a mistake to think that you must feel love to give it. If, for example, I have a child and I give up my day off to take him to a ball game to his great joy at a time when I don't particularly like him, I am in some ways being more loving to him than if my heart were filled with affection that's because love is a choice if i have a friend that i don't like at a particular moment but i choose to sacrifice for him and to serve him anyways it doesn't mean that i'm not truly loving him just because i don't like him in that moment i am truly loving him even if i don't have feelings of love for him at the time
1: Yeah, very true. The other aspect of the way the culture views love is that the culture requires us to accept a person however they want to live their life in order to be loving towards them. And so that's where the culture is in terms of... Uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh-huh. and whatnot, is that in order to love those people, we must accept how they want to live um, their life and support them uh, in that. And, and this cultural understanding of love, it's a perversion of the truth because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have true knowledge or discernment. And so, again, knowledge and discernment are necessary because we need to know the truth and be able to discern from right and wrong in order to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates.
0: Yeah, we do need to be careful to both love people well in a genuine way and also never abandon truth, never abandon knowledge and discernment. I appreciate the words from this commentator as he, as he writes about our temptation to separate love and truth from one another. He writes this, some of us are inclined to intellectual abstraction. We delight in doctrine and precision. We are truth people. But perhaps others of us are more emotionally driven. We are all about loving others. We are relational people. The danger of truth without love is coldness and ruthlessness and impatience with one another's sin. The danger of love without truth is a sentimental inclusiveness that fails to draw biblical boundaries about what is right and what is not in an effort to keep everyone healthy. Both extremes cripple churches, shatter biblical fellowship, and solely the good name of our Savior before the eyes of the watching world. So next, Paul writes, so that, this is in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. So why is choosing excellency important? What does it look like practically? How does it relate to love?
1: Yeah, when our love is grounded in knowledge and discernment like we uh, talked about, one of the things that that then leads to is it leads to approving what is excellent. Approving what is excellent means that we intentionally look at our lives and choose to pursue what is most beneficial, what is the highest priority for becoming more like christ and honoring god with all of our life if love is to abound we must be intentional in the way that we practice that so practically i think this means that we must look at our lives and examine our priorities and our pursuits and unfortunately, many Christians are distracted by the things of this world. They are more focused on their career or a particular hobby than they are on becoming like Christ and sharing the gospel. Yeah, Christians are more distracted and focused on the things that we see in social media and entertainment and Mm -hmm. on the news and in politics. And at the level of students, students are, are often more focused on their schoolwork, on getting into a good college, on the sports that they play, rather than becoming like Christ and living a life that is fully devoted to him in every way possible. And none of these things are inherently wrong. It's not wrong to uh, be excellent in your schoolwork. It's not wrong to be excellent in your career or have a hobby that you're excellent at. But what is the purpose of being excellent in that area of your life? Mm -hmm. Is the purpose of that excellence ultimately so that you would be more like Christ so that he would be the highest priority, so that he would be made known. And so when our highest priority isn't becoming like Christ, being fully devoted to him and what he calls us to do, you will be distracted by all kinds of worldly treasures. And inevitably, you will not be mature in your faith, and you will not be effective in God's calling on your life. And so As we approve the things that are excellent, that means we must have a narrow focus in our lives on being devoted to God and his will for our lives as what is most excellent. That is what must be most beneficial and significant to the Christian. And when that is our highest priority, everything else we do really is centered around becoming like Christ and making him known. Mm. And so... Excellency in your career is not just about making a lot of money or having a great great career. It's about making Christ known in that context. Um, Being great at your schoolwork or at a certain sport is is not just for the sake of building yourself up, but for making Christ known in uh, your school, among your peers, among uh, the people that you play sports with. Um, so that they would see the glory and the majesty of who God is and what he's done uh, through Jesus Christ. And then in relation to love and kind of how that relates to love, a biblical love, think about it practically, a biblical love leads to approving what is excellent while the love of the world does not approve what is excellent. Yeah. The love of the world approves of wickedness And unrighteousness. And so when the world approves of wickedness, it is a clear sign that the love it claims to have is counterfeit. And the problem is that there are so many Christians who would rather have a counterfeit love than the love that the Bible speaks of. Yes. And the love that the Bible speaks of towards God and towards others is Far, far greater than this counterfeit love that the world offers us. Amen.
0: Yeah, I'd love for us to just spend some time thinking about this in our own lives. Are we pursuing excellence? Are you a person of prayer? Do you love the word of God? Are you a hard worker? How's your work ethic? Or are you lazy? If you're a parent, are you intentional about discipling your child to love and rely on Christ? How are you loving those around you? Josh, you touched on something so important. Yes, in the world, pursuing excellence is all about yourself. It puts myself at the center. But the Christian approval of excellence is always determined and directed by love. Remember, this is in the context of love, loving others, abounding in love with knowledge and all discernment. And so whenever I do the things that are excellent, whenever I seek out the things that are excellent, whenever I approve the things that are excellent, it must be determined and directed by love. So how am I loving others? So next, Paul writes about two of the results that will come from doing this. He writes about purity and blamelessness and righteous fruit. This is what he says. He says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. How are these related to love and
1: excellency, Josh? So approving of what is excellent then leads to actually living a life that is characterized by purity, by blamelessness and by righteous fruit. Mm -hmm. And so remember that again, the the main theme of that this text is abounding in love. And kind of the question we've been answering is what does that actually look like? And Paul has shown us that love must be grounded on knowledge and discernment which then leads to an ability to determine what is most excellent to pursue and then that leads to what love actually looks like tangibly in mm-hmm. our lives. So let's break down those just a little bit. So purity is it's also translated sometimes as sincerity. And so it really has to do primarily with not being a hypocrite, <laughs> being sincere in the way that you live your life. In other words, our faith and the way that we live is sincere. How we live is consistent with what we say we believe. That means that we are not claiming to follow Jesus and at the same time living contrary to what scripture commands. To do so is an example of being unloving to claim that you know the love of God, but then to not live that way. The book of 1 John talks a lot about that, how you can't say that you love God and hate your brother, yeah. because that reveals in your heart that ultimately you don't really love God. Mm-hmm. And so the way we live must be sincere. We must not live hypocritically. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, being blameless, is it's also translated as being without fault and it really is the concept of having integrity, your life being full of integrity in the way that you live. And so you're living in such a way with such integrity that your life is honorable before God. And the literal Greek term for being blameless has to do with not bringing offense to others because your life is full of such integrity or another idea that's associated with it is others not being able to complain against you because your life is filled with such an integrity. Mm -hmm. And in that way, you're blameless before God and others. You're without fault. Uh So that's, I mean, that's a high calling. That's a calling that uh, we don't live up to every day. That's a calling just like You know, being free from hypocrisy is probably not what most people in the secular culture think of when they think of Christianity. And some of that might be incorrect thinking, certainly on their part, but it also might be incorrect living on our part as well. And so, are you sincere in your faith? Are you not? walking in a way that's contrary to what you're saying you believe? And then are you without fault and full of integrity in, in how you live, even in the most mundane of things? To give you an example of that, I worked in college at McDonald's for mm. like two years, which was a fun experience.
0: How many chicken um, nuggets did you eat while working?
1: So yeah. many. I ate so many chicken nuggets. I Believe it or not, when I worked at McDonald's, I I ate a Big Mac like every single day that oh, I worked there. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't great on my diet, but it was a good it was a good learning experience. And and one of the things that was hard to have integrity in because it was a small thing was the way that you would give out sauce for chicken nuggets right so mcdonald's was very precise about how much ranch or barbecue they wanted you to give out per chicken nugget like it was (laughs) it was like calculated per chicken nugget how much sauce you were to give out and so if they wanted past that amount then you were supposed to charge them for that sauce like 25 cents per packet or something like that but oftentimes you're trying to get people in and out of the drive through, so that you can keep the line moving. And so practically, it was easier to just give it to people <laughs> for free uh-huh. to get them out of the drive through. because as soon as you tell people that you have to charge them for sauce, usually they, they get frustrated with you. They might, you know, make a scene or not want to pay uh-huh. for it or whatnot. And so a lot of times, people would just give it out for free because it was easier to do that.
0: That makes sense.
1: Um But... I was convicted when I worked there that because that was the way that the corporation wanted to uh, handle that situation, that the way to have the most integrity was to do exactly what they were asking me to do. Mm. Um, And so living a life without fault, living a life of integrity, being blameless, extends to not just big things in our lives, but to the smallest and most mundane things in our lives mm. the things that happen when no one is watching except for God. Yeah. And so is that is that how you view your life? Is that how you live uh, you know day in and day out seeking to have integrity um and be without fault in in everything even to the smallest detail of your life. And then lastly the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness yeah. has to do with good works. Um, that concept in scripture is probably not foreign to you listeners. Scriptures, the scriptures often use this expression to talk about the works that are present in our lives. Romans chapter 6 teaches us that there is only the fruit of unrighteousness and then the fruit of righteousness. And so everyone produces some kind of fruit. It is either the fruit of unrighteousness and sin and wickedness that permeates your life and your heart and your thoughts, or it is the fruit of righteousness, okay. which again is the righteous character that God produces in your heart and your mind first that then is demonstrated in uh, your living. When you think of the fruit of righteousness and and growing in, Righteousness. You might think of Paul's words in Galatians where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and instructs them that they are to have joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, and self-control. Um, and so practically growing in the fruit of righteousness, I find it helpful to think about the fruit of the spirit and how are those qualities continuing to grow in my life and what areas am i lacking that fruit certain fruit of the spirit and so how am i lacking uh, self-control how am i lacking gentleness towards people how is there any way where i'm lacking faithfulness towards others but notice as well what we see in the passage in verse 11 is that it says the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Yeah. It comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, the the fruit of righteousness is not a fruit of our own doing. Yes. Just in the same way that we did not save ourselves, so likewise after we are saved, it is not in and of ourselves that we produce the righteousness that flows from our hearts and our minds into our words and deeds. That is the very doing of God. That is the very doing of the work of Christ and the Spirit through our heart and then in our lives. And what's interesting is that verse 11 in the ESV isn't um, as clear, I think, as maybe some other translations. It says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. The, The Greek language there really says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Uh And that's right after Paul just says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so the idea is that on the day of Christ, you will have been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so as a Christian, it is a certainty that God will work through you to produce godly character that happens in your heart and your mind and then is demonstrated in your words and your deeds towards others. And so that is a work that God will certainly do. And it is His work that He does in us.
0: That's so good. At the end of Paul's paragraph, he mentions the third result. He says, to the glory and praise of God. Why is this one important, Josh?
1: Yeah, so this last part really is easy to skip over because it kind of just seems like a fancy way of Paul ending his prayer and then moving on to the other things that he has to say. It almost kind of seems yeah. you know, like a catch-all of like, and the praise and the glory be to God. All right, like yeah. next thing, so to speak, right? Uh-huh. Um, But again, it's, it's very intentional in, in what he says. It's easy to skip over. But this last section is incredibly important. And the reason that this last section is incredibly important is because it explains the purpose and the ultimate goal of why love should abound in our lives. Paul's prayer this entire time has been that our love would continually grow throughout the entirety of our lives until we see Jesus face-to-face and that that would specifically look like our love being rooted and grounded in knowledge and discernment, that then that would lead to us approving of what is excellent and pursuing what is excellent according to God's word. And then that we would live our lives in a way in which is sincere without fault and and filled with the fruit of righteousness. And so the question kind of is, well, if that is Paul's prayer for us and God's will for believers, why do we need to do that? Why uh, why is that significant? And so the reason that that is important at the very end when he says to the glory and praise of God is because God alone deserves praise and glory for saving us. Uh-huh. And he alone deserves praise and glory for transforming our lives into the likeness of Christ. While we're here on this earth, Until we see him face to face. Another way to say that is is to say that God ultimately saves us, not just for our own joy, not for our own purposes, but ultimately for his own glory and for his own purposes. We see specifically in the book of Romans chapter one, that we were created to worship God and to honor him alone. And so the abounding of love that happens in our life, it's rooted in truth and discernment that leads to approving what is excellent, that leads to righteousness in our life. The ultimate goal and purpose of that is that it's for the praise and the glory of our wondrous God Uh who came himself to take our place on the cross who shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And he alone deserves the glory and the credit for that. And so the righteousness and the love that is to be produced in my life is not so that I would feel like I'm a better person. Mm. It's not so that I would just look righteous before other people. It's, So that God would be glorified and magnified in my life because he is deserving of the credit and the glory for saving me and reconciling me to himself. Because apart from him, I would not be reconciled to him and I would be destined to an eternity in hell. And yet in his greatness and in his kindness, he made it possible for me to be saved called me to himself, gave me Mm -hmm. faith to believe, and then transformed my life to be honoring to him so that my life would fulfill the purpose that he actually created me for, which is the worship and the glory of his name.
0: Amen. Yeah, the fruit of righteousness mentioned in verse 11 doesn't come from ourselves, but from Christ. Remember that it says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And so in the same way, the glory and praise doesn't go to ourselves, but to God. And this really is the final goal of pursuing every excellent thing, God's glory. I'd love for us to not just, discuss and listen to these words but for us to actually apply them to our lives because they they really do matter our prayers are so often just a shopping list of needs and requests based on whatever new thing is going on in our lives at the time and, and those are absolutely important we should let our requests be made known to the lord but let's begin to pray in the way that Paul did here. Let's pray for God to teach us how to love people more and more over time, abounding, this kind of abounding love. Let's pray for God to teach us to not love in a way that abandons knowledge and discernment. Let's pray for God to give us hearts and minds that strive for excellence to love God and his word, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, to live lives that bring God glory and praise. Let's begin to pray with these priorities and let's see how the Lord changes our lives. Josh, do you mind closing our time in prayer?
1: Absolutely. Let's pray. God, thank you for the greatness of who you are, your faithfulness, your kindness, your mercy towards us in Christ, for making... Um, salvation possible through uh, the work of your son so we thank you for that and for who you are we acknowledge your majesty and uh, your worthiness of of praise and of glory and of honor thank you for your word that you have told us exactly what we need to believe in order to know you in order to to follow you and in order to live Lives as Christians that are honoring to your name. We do confess, God, that we fail to love you. Mm -hmm. We fail to love others every single day. And so, as Paul prays, we pray for ourselves that you would help us to abound in love a love that is rooted in the truth of your word, um, in discernment. Help us to approve of the things that are excellent, not of the things that are unrighteous, and help our lives to be filled with the fruit of righteousness for your glory and yours alone. Be with us today. We love you and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the RCC Student Podcast. This next week, as you encounter various challenges and various types of people, remember that Jesus is the one who enables us to love. Remember to love those people in your life well, not just with your feelings, but with your actions and your words. We love you guys. We'll see you next time.